Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. And what a week it has been. We're sitting here December 15th. My friend, who would have known we would have been inundated with so much Formula One news? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is what it's supposed to be like in the middle of the summer. But what a crazy week. No kidding, right? I mean, we always knew that there was like a silly season for drivers, but is there going to be a silly season for team principals? Because if so, you know, sign us up because this has been, like you say, <laughs> it's been one heck of a week. I mean, I mean, it's fine. We're going to talk about obviously in a lot of detail, but apart from the the the, the Bonato thing, which had kind of been out there for a couple of weeks as as a rumor before it kind of happened last week. The, the other two with uh, Capito and then, uh, well, Vassar obviously is part of the Bonato deal, but then uh, with Andrea Seidel and McLaren, I mean, I, I just wonder what what's going on. I mean, our good friend Tim Rainey texted, he's just like, guys, emergency pod time. And then, because I saw that, on, I guess on, was that Tuesday morning? And I knew something important had happened because I rolled out of bed at 6 a.m. and just immediately went to social media, immediately went all to the websites that I checked. I'm like, wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I think the the crazy part about it too is a lot of it is still, I'm trying to think about the best way to say this, like a lot of it is still unresolved. We still have no, and we'll get to this in a couple of minutes, but we still have no idea what direction Williams is going in because they, yeah, let, actually, you know what? Let's get through, and if I found a, sound a little bit sick today, everybody, I, I apologize. I've been a little bit under the weather. Mark's like, you know what, man? I think you should take the day and rest up. But I'm like, dude, I, I can't sit in bed when we've got so much to talk about. But before we get started, just a couple of quick things right off the top. Race Weekend, our partner, our friends at the Race Weekend. If you are interested in signing up for a subscription, you can get a 10% discount by using the Scuderia Pod coupon code. I recommend you do that. It's a fantastic, fantastic publication. A couple of quick updates as well. We know we are inching closer and closer to the holidays. Obviously, Hanukkah and Christmas and Boxing Day for all of us in the British Commonwealth and, of course, New Year's. But a couple of things that you will see next week. On Monday, we are going to drop. We're going to redrop in a flashback episode. We'll redrop our Tyler Santarusha episode from earlier this season, the interview that we did with the famous Formula One helmet artist. And then next week, you and I are going to be sitting down with Tim Haradi, and we're going to do a bit of a 2022 race recap. And then next week as well, I'm going to be sitting down with Ed, Ed Spencer, an FIA credentialed uh, Formula One reporter, and he and I are going to record something that we're going to drop on Boxing Day. So I know it's the holidays, but if you've got a little bit of time, if you're commuting from destination to destination, if you're still out there hitting the gym, uh, we'll promise to have a lot of uh, a lot of content for you. Yeah, that's uh, really cool. Looking uh, forward to uh, doing that season review. Is the DVD or the Blu-ray out yet? 
because <laughs> I feel like you know, what did it clock in at like last year? Was it something like six Never or seven hours or something? Yeah. So this year I think is seven twenty eight. But the ones that I bought, and I've, I'll be honest, I buy them all. I've not opened most of them, to be totally honest. I think the only one I've ever tried to watch was 2009, the bronze season. I only got about halfway through that. But yeah, usually they clock in at three and a half to four hours, but the most recent wow. recaps are about seven, seven and a half hours. So definitely oh a little goodness. bit more thorough than, than, of course, the Drive to Survive series, although they are far less compelling and far less interesting because Drive to Survive kind of pulls on some of those uh, kind of emotional strings, whereas the documentary on the Blu-ray, it's a little bit more technical in focus and a, a lot more about what happens on the track in a sequenced series of events. Yeah, rather than uh, DTS who uh, tend to jump around and yeah, follow different totally, stories at totally. different time in a completely non-linear fashion, totally, but somehow totally. it, uh, the, the way that they do it, it still still works uh, pretty pr- pretty good. But just crazy, uh, tonight, uh, which is uh, December 15th, 10 days away from Christmas Day, obviously, this is episode 398. That is just, uh, that blows my mind. I mean, it's just, I, I have no idea where the time went and where all these episodes, all this content came from, but that is absolutely a, a, a mind blower that we've got almost 400 episodes out there in whatever, the cyberverse, cyberspace. In the, in the spirit of being... Um undemocratic which is kind of how the whole podcast industry works like numbers are elusive and nobody really knows uh by the time you're listening to this podcast we'll have crossed a milestone that is very important to daily and i we had a very specific target that we wanted to hit this year this calendar year and that number is effectively double the number that we did last year so uh if you're listening you were a big part in making that happen so as we celebrate that milestone and we look towards next year we hope to double it once again but thank you to everybody that's tuned in every single week because I think one of the things that's so special about our audience is how loyal they are to the show. And if you listen mm-hmm. to other F1 shows, that's awesome. I love it. But uh, the fact that so many of you come back to this show every single week has been a really special part of the journey for both you and I over the last couple of years. As we've oh, been yeah, together. absolutely. That's 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 the best part of it is uh, doing this and knowing that there's uh, you know so many people out there is hungry uh, for, for Formula One uh, like we are. Okay, so um, let's get into the show itself now, uh, Hammy. So uh, Nick DeFries, Williams driver, uh, sorry, Alpine driver. Where did where did he go? I've actually, oh, Alpha Tower either. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was I'm completely, uh, oh, wow. Me too, too I'm like, where to is start he? Over again? Yeah, I'm kind of like flipping through the different options here. Alpha Tower driver, he's um, chosen uh, number 21 as his uh, permanent number. So just kind of looking down some of the uh, the different numbers uh, for, for next year. Um that there aren't really too many changes uh, at uh, at Red Bull. You got Max and Checo; they're staying with the same uh, as we're going to see at Ferrari, at Mercedes, uh, at Alpine. We're going to see Esteban Ocon keeping number thirty-one. Pierre's Gasly, his new teammate, is going to be uh, driving with number ten. Over at McLaren, Lando is still going to be driving with number four, and his new teammate Oscar Piastri is going to be rocking number eighty-one. Over at Alfa Romeo, uh, no change there with uh, Joe Guan Yu and Valtteri Bottas. Same numbers for them. Uh, over at Aston Martin, eighteen and fourteen for Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso, respectively. So that's uh, not going to be any difference. And we're going to see a resurrection of number twenty-seven over at Haas with uh, Nico Hulkenberg coming back to the grid for twenty twenty-three, and K Mag is teammate 
teammates going to be keeping number 20 over at Alpha Tower as well. This is going to be one of the teams, the only team that has a sequential numbers 21 for Nick DeFries, 22 for Yuki Sonoda, and then over Williams, Alex Albon with number 23, which is unchanged. And his teammate, the American Logan Sargent, he's going to be driving number zero two, not just two. Zero two, as far as according Mr. to the Daly, that we have. If if you were to make your debut in a Formula One car mm-hmm. this coming spring, what number would you have adorned on the outside of the vehicle? I, I would go with number twenty eight. That's a significant 28? number for me. Yeah, twenty eight. Yeah, twenty eight or twenty seven. I know those are like uh, classic Ferrari numbers, but those have always uh, been uh, I, you know. I have yeah, to ask auspicious what's the, numbers. So twenty eight's cool number. What's the significance yeah. of twenty eight? It just sort of pops up uh, all the time. Everything uh, with a significance in my life has 28 in it uh, somewhere. And 27 is my my birthday, which is coincidentally just uh, 12 days from now, December 27th. So... Yeah, thanks for thanks for the wishes, Hammy. You just don't sit there with a blank face, grinning. You're supposed to say, "Hey, buddy." What's no, I just okay? realized I didn't say happy birthday the last two years, so I was feeling a little guilty. And I know you didn't ask, but good. my favorite number is twelve. So, the audience cool. learned something about choice. both of us. Can we talk about Yost Capito? Can we talk? I'm so excited about yes. this. Yes, yeah. Let, let's get into that because I mean that's is going to be a pretty well. I mean that kind of kicks off uh, the whole discussion. I mean, last week we talked all about uh, Mattia Bonato resigning. A Ferrari, and then it was almost likely that Frederick Vasseur was going to come in uh, for him. That did uh, transpire. But uh, this week, Monday, literally out of nowhere, it's announced that uh, Yas Capito and their technical d- director, who are basically twins, uh, or at least um, <laughs> they're, they are inseparable, let's put it that way, uh, were going to be uh, leaving the team. They weren't going to get their contracts picked up uh, for, for next year. I guess w- when you look into this one a little bit uh, deeper, kind of makes sense because we haven't really seen any. Any, if you know any improvement, or maybe even I wouldn't say. Well, have they regressed? Well, what, what, what do you think, Cammy? Have they just sort of remained the same? Or I guess if you're not progressing, you're slowly regressing in Formula One. But ever since Derelton uh, Capital came in, took over from the Williams family a couple of years ago, brought in their own guy, it just hasn't delivered the the results that they they were expecting. And uh, he's paying for it with his job. No announcement as to where or who might um, you know replace him or where that person might come from. However, it is interesting because well, with some of the other musical chairs, with uh, with uh, Andreas Seidel leaving McLaren, and then uh, uh, as uh, then Andreas Stella being promoted to team principal over that organization, you know, it's there's you know, like wh- who's this person going to be? Like w- one of the things I was uh, considering is if you're drilling capital, if you're now looking for somebody to replace a uh, Capito. Do you think maybe you give Claire Williams a call to to come in at least on an interim basis while you search for somebody a little bit more permanent? I know she's a couple of years removed for, uh, from it, but I don't know. That's an interesting one because <laughs> the, the the timing is a little bit unfortunate because team principles don't grow on trees. And after Capito was let go, there was a lot that happened in, in pretty rapid succession and uh, leaves a bit, a bit of a tough spot. Hammy, what say you? My friend, you can't go back to Claire Williams. You can't, you can't as Dalton Capital invest by the team and sink a hundred million dollars into improving the facilities and the staff and the technology just to mm-hmm. roll back to Claire Williams two years later. And I, I've been not even you know on what, an interim basis. Said, 
Not for absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay, I think that would be okay. a huge sign of, of regression. And I think they have shown signs of regression, but I think that'd be hugely problematic. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think it is so for a couple of reasons. One, I'll be honest, I, I'm on the record as saying that Claire Williams never got a a fair stab at being the team principal of Williams because Agreed. she was never given the title. Yep. She was always stuck in that deputy team principal role. Yep. And furthermore, she never had the financial resources around her that could ever have made her successful. But you can't now, you can't now as Dalton go back to to Claire Williams. That would be an admission of complete and total failure. But having said that, that's kind of what this smacks of, doesn't it? That that Jost Capito yeah. and and, yep. and and Francois Xavier, they came in here at the end of 2020. And as we now understand, it was a two-year deal, or maybe it was a one-year plus a one. But ultimately, it's now been reported this week that Dalton knew as far back as last summer that they weren't going to renew their agreements. They kept them on through the back half of the season, but they're here two years in. You know, Capito was designed and intended to be the architect of a massive rebuild. And for Dalton to say just two years in that this isn't working is a huge admission of fault on their behalf because Mm -hmm. they brought him in and clearly what he's doing or has been doing isn't working. It isn't working. So either it's become hugely problematic on the shop floor, as you you might say, in, in Grove, where the factory is based, and it's obvious to everybody that this simply isn't working, or it's obvious enough to senior leadership at Dalton that their investments aren't going to pay off with Yost, and they had to make a move. But I think it's it's frightening that it, that this team that has been so problematic, and of course, you know what? They scored well in 2014, 2015. They scored some podiums in 2016. They had that one podium in 17, and then 18, 19, 20, 21 were horrendous, but 2022 mm-hmm. should have shown some promise, and you use that word regression. They finished eighth in the championship in 2021, and they finished dead last in 2022, and this year should have been an opportunity, as it was for every team, to sweep away all the failures of the six years that had come prior. And it was a fresh start. And they had the fresh start with the arrow, with the underbody aerodynamics. And they had a really capable power unit. But this year was a total disaster. And I'm not sure what Yost or Xavier are going to be known as in this case. Fortunately, their their tenure was brief because I trust Dalton making this decision is one out of strategy because they simply didn't trust the direction that they were going in. But it's so surreal because I remember one of the first podcasts that you and I did together back in late 2020 was sitting here talking about Yost and his racing pedigree and the fact that he'd been such a big part of Volkswagen's uh, WRC rally championship team. And now here we are in the blink of an eye and they've both been exited. And it's reporting tells us that their contracts weren't going to be picked up and it wasn't necessarily their choice because if you look back at some of the comments that both of them had made in recent months, they seemed very... They seemed very positive that they were going to be around and that this was just much part of a much bigger strategy. But now if you're Dalton and you bring in a new CEO and a new team principal and a new technical director, because again, if you bring in a new CEO, they're going to want all their own people, then the rebuild starts again. And maybe it has to, because maybe the car is so bad that the leadership at Dalton realized that this wasn't salvageable and they have to start over. And that was just the investment they were willing to make. 
Well, you know, it might not just only be the car. It might also be the off-the-track stuff, too, right? I mean, exactly. the culture within the, exactly. co- the, the the company, the also maybe not just the culture, but also the, uh, the, the, the personnel that they have. Do they need to, you know, do they need to restructure? Do they need more minds and bodies of one department uh, versus another? I mean, it, it's a very, very complex thing. I mean, if, if you look at it like other sports, I mean, this really is a completely uh, different sport, you know, a beast compared to, say, like basketball or football or any other team sport just because you know you're you're building this bespoke piece of technology from scratch as are nine other teams and that's what what makes it all really incredible but i mean the thing is when you're the team principal you oversee everything i mean you've got to be part engineer you got to be part business person you got to be part general manager you got to be part coach you know and it is just uh, it is an incredibly complex job and difficult job i mean take some of the greats from some of the other sports take like your phil jackson's your bill bilichek's i mean they basically are just watching what's on the court or on the field and and building a team and you know maybe they tack on that uh, added uh, job of general manager so or at least uh, you know they've got a big say in the, the the players that are coming in and out of the organization i mean formula one team principle is that plus so 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 much more it's it, it really is incredible but it kind of goes back to where we were talking about right at the top of this uh th- this story is like if if you're derilton now like where are you looking i mean andreas seidel obviously is not an option it sounds like obviously he was destined for audi for the uh you know all the time i mean that's another story that um apparently was uh you know has been and that's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's Bonato. It doesn't matter if it's a Capito. It doesn't matter if it's Seidel. All these things kind of had their roots in the genesis to each one of these individual stories back last summer, which is which is amazing. But you know, like like we were just saying right at the the start, like who comes in now for <laughs> for Williams? I I really don't know, Hammy. I don't know. Let me let me share a couple of things that have been percolating as I've been lying sick in bed all week. The one thing that has been a re- reoccurring thought to me has been this whole Williams situation. Everything else, by the way, seemed to happen while I was sick. So I yeah, just assumed yeah. that it was like a bad dream. And then I woke to this and it was real. But okay, I, as talking the, about y- bad dreams, as long as you say that uh, your choice or your suggestion for, um, for, for Williams team principal isn't Flavio Briatore, I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me laugh. It makes my chest hurt. But, uh, but I think there's yeah, a couple of things here. That sounded a little bit here. kind of like uncomfortable that chuckle it it could it could really be one that dalton just recognized that this wasn't working that there were culture issues like you said or perhaps just the execution from a performance perspective wasn't working out and they had to cut their ties and start over which is really unfortunate because that they thought was happening two years ago um, a couple of things that I thought interesting about this was one, unlike in all, almost all of these other situations that you and I are about to discuss in a couple of minutes, they don't have a backup plan. Typically, when you announce the departure of a CEO or a team principal in Formula One, you have your backfill lined up and ready to go, and they don't. And this is really problematic for Williams because they're the most, even with Dalton, they are by a significant margin, the most 
underfunded team on F1, in F1. So I don't know who or how you're going to attract top level CEOs and top level team principals to come and run this team because your sales pitch is going to be, you're going to have less money than anyone else on the grid. You're going to have a smaller factory than anyone else on the grid. And furthermore, you're starting two years behind everyone else because you got to start over with this car. The other thought, and this is one that I think could be realistic, is there are still a couple of OEMs swimming around Formula One right now that might be looking for an in. And one of those could be Porsche. One of those could be Hyundai. And if I'm Hyundai or if I am Porsche and I'm about to make a significant investment in a Formula One team and perhaps make it a works team, I'm going to want my people in charge and running this team. So this could have been a pre preemptive strike by the leadership of Dalton as they position this team for a potential merger or takeover by an OEM. So on the one hand, I don't think that this is just um, misguided strategy. On the other hand, I think there's a very real possibility here that Dalton could be lining this team up for a, a takeover or a merger of sorts with a major OEM. Yeah, that is a, a really interesting uh, thought, Hammy. I hadn't uh, really uh, considered that at all. Uh, you know, maybe it's uh, I've got a little bit of a blind spot when it comes to to Williams because, uh, as I've uh, said many times on this podcast, it's I, I have like a real nostalgic lots of nostalgia towards them because when I go back to when I was a kid growing up uh, I just remember all the guys that were racing for them back in the day like your Nigel Mansells and your Damon Hills and even Jacques Villeneuve won a uh, world championship uh, with, with Williams so maybe that uh, sort of clouds my you know my judgment a little bit but that's you know it's possible, right? I mean, that that whole Porsche story last summer was really, really interesting because it, it sounded like some sort of deal between Porsche and Red Bull just didn't seem like it was. It it just seemed like it was inevitable, and then we we all expected something to drop at the beginning of July, uh, roughly at the uh, the the Austrian Grand Prix. And it's that sort of sort of like that date came and went, and then it just you know it just didn't happen. Then uh, apparently at one point, uh, didn't they want to sort of like buy up? Was it like sort of like fifty one percent of the company or forty nine percent? Or it, it, it was either a majority or or just short of it but it, it obviously it was uh, going to be a real big ask and you can see why red bull would have uh, turned it down but hey we, we still have to talk about uh ferrari we still have to talk about pardon me uh mclaren we'll do that in just a moment so let's take a little break here and we'll come back on the flip side of our first ad break and talk about that and a lot more so don't go away passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark and Mark here breaking down uh, what's been a very, very busy week in the uh, the sport of Formula One. Talking before the break, uh, the sudden announcement of departure of... Uh, Jos Capito and uh, technical director Francois de Maison from uh, Williams on uh, Monday or Tuesday this week. It's been such a blur just how quickly everything's gone. Uh, so we, we've talked about that at length, Hammy. So let's talk now. Do you want to talk about Ferrari and uh, the appointment of uh, Frederica Vasseur to replace uh, Mattia Bonotto at, uh, at Marinello for next season? Or do you want to talk about Andreas Seidel, his departure from McLaren? And Let's give the people what they want. Everyone's tuned in to hear our thoughts on Ferrari. So maybe that's okay. a good place to start. Okay, let's, let, let's give do, the people uh, what they want, as okay, Jalen well, Rose yeah. would always say. <laughs> well, the thing is with Ferrari, right? It's the, the gift that keeps on giving. And it, 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 it's perfect it? for people like us because it's just like if we're ever struggling to find something to talk about, which isn't very often, uh, our usual go-tos. Let's start with the latest Ferrari news and fill the rest of the show around that. <laughs> That's usually a pretty <laughs> solid bet, right? So anyways, uh, last week it was uh, announced uh, that uh, Mattia Bonotto would be resigning, wouldn't be coming back to uh, Ferrari uh, next season. I guess he's going to be uh, officially out at the end of the year. And then it, well, the, the whole thing with this Ferrari story is that for the very first time that I can remember, all the rumors and unnamed sources were actually right because this story kind of came out, what was it, about two, three, four weeks ago that that Bedotto was going to be out, he was going to leave by the end of the year, and he's going to be replaced with Frederick Vasseur, who's the, uh, the team principal for uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber, whatever you want to call them, or who's going to be Audi in uh, 2026. So, I mean, there's always a lot of rumors that float around regarding every team and every driver and every team principal, it seems, all throughout the year. So it was just kind of an interesting one. And I guess this one took on a little bit of an added dimension just because Ferrari stumbled and sputtered and just fell short all season long. It, it didn't seem to matter what it was. It was strategy. It was tactics. It was race management. It was the car. It was the, the reliability of the car. And then... <laughs> You know, these other reports that Mattia Bonotto and Charles Leclerc hadn't spoken to each other since Silverstone's the British Grand Prix in the, I guess, was the first half of July, which is going back more than half a year ago or going back pretty much, uh, I guess, at this point, half a year. So, you know, it, it just really surprises me that this one actually turned out. But Frederick Vasseur, I guess, is is somebody that makes sense to a point in at Ferrari, right? Because, I mean, he's been team principal at Alfa Romeo. They're a customer team of Ferrari, have been for a number of years. And, yeah, you know, it's 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 a little bit different than the relationship that Ferrari have with, with Haas because Haas kind of have, like, their own corner at Maranello and and things like that. But uh, Ferrari and, and Alfa Romeo, a bit more of a customer team, but I guess it's also a bit of a driver development team. And, of course, Charles Leclerc, 
he uh, spent a, a bit of time there before he uh, got the drive with the Ferrari. So he knows uh, Frederick Vasuri knows him from the, the lower formulas as well. So it kind of makes you wonder how much uh, Charles had in the input of uh, the appointment uh, of Vasuri at, uh, at Ferrari. But it's it's interesting because you look now at the names that uh, that have preceded Vasuri. You got Stefano Domenicali, now the um, the CEO of Formula One, Marco Mariachi or uh, Maurizio Arriva Bene, who was most recently CEO of uh, Juventus, uh, the soccer club in Italy. I'm not sure if he's still there. I mean, I think there's been some scandals going on. So they all preceded uh, uh, Bonato, and Bonato, I mean, was a little bit different. In the sense that he was, uh, and and to me, he's always had the look of like an, an engineer that a kind of you know I would say kind of lucked his way into the job because I don't think that's the, the 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 case at all. I mean, he's obviously very very qualified, very very brilliant engineer. Was a Ferrari guy through and through, so I think he earned his shot as a team principal. But when you kind of look at those list of names, Domenicali Mariachi and uh, Arriva Bene, you know. He he sort of stands out because he's a cut from a bit of a different cloth than those uh, than those other guys. But still, he he couldn't get the job done, and now Vasur is supposed to come and 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 take over and do it. The question is, Hammy, I guess this is the sixty four thousand dollar question. Have they picked the right guy to finally get it done? What what do you think? I don't think this is the right guy, to be totally honest. And you and I talked a lot about this, and I think we talked a lot about this with Tim as well, that the mistake that Ferrari made to start with was the forced departure or the forced resignation of Matteo Bonato. And obviously, Matteo Bonato had been there for the better part of three decades, and he'd been instrumental in building everything that is and everything that was. And he was a big part of the championships teams there under Jean Todd and Michael Schumacher and Ross Braun. And to force that departure seemed a little bit, a little bit unfounded for a, a number of different reasons. And I think you and I talked about the fact that Vignan, Elkan, and other members of the Ferrari senior leadership team wanted to have their fingerprints all over this team. And Matteo Bonato obviously wasn't their guy. But I also don't think that Vasur is their guy. It was widely reported that they went after Christian Horner. It's widely reported that they went after countless other executives within the Formula One paddock. And it's widely reported that they did all of this very publicly during the summer, only to be rebuffed by all of these other organizations and all of these other individuals. So if Ferrari had their way, Vassour wouldn't be their team principal. He's their team principal because they they departed with Bonato and didn't really have an alternative backup plan. And I think that separation was going to happen one way or the other because I think the relationship between Bonato and senior executives at Ferrari had become untenable. But I don't think that this was obviously their first choice. And furthermore, Frederick Vassour, he's fine. He's been in Formula One for maybe a decade. I think if you're totally honest, he had a couple of years as team principal under Ciro Biddable at, at Renault. Those two didn't get along. He separated. He went to obviously Sauber, which is... I don't even know if you can call them necessarily year in, year out and midfield team, but he went there. Uh, he was obviously the CEO of the Sauber Group AG, and he was the team principal of the Formula One team. That team is obviously intimately linked to, to Ferrari because Ferrari is their power engine supplier and also the team that imposes their will on them oftentimes when it comes <laughs> to drivers. Of course, Charles Leclerc, a Ferrari Academy driver, was purposely funneled through Sauber before he made his transition into, into Ferrari. But ultimately, 
ultimately, I don't know that he's the right guy. And you made a great comment a couple of minutes ago about the fact that I think oftentimes we'll compare a team principal to a head coach in the NFL or the NBA. And that's not a fair comp because a team principal has to manage the relationship of all the leaders within the organization, the technical directors and the department head and the chief engineers. He has to maintain the relationships with the drivers and their entourage. He's also got to manage, he or she also has to manage a factory of four, five, six, 1,400 people that these are very complex industrial organizations. And while he did that at Sauber, Sauber is not nearly on the scale that Ferrari is. For starters, Sauber is an engine supplier or engine or sorry, a power unit customer, whereas Ferrari is a power unit producer, meaning they have to produce power units for their own use, but for the use of other teams on the grid. And you also have to maintain those relationships with other teams on the grid. It's an incredibly complex job, but I think that Ferrari, in a sense, backed themselves into this corner because Bonato isn't and wasn't going to be the person for this job. And like I said, it's been reported widely that Ferrari was shopping midway through last summer for a for a replacement for Bonato and that Vassour just happened to be the one guy that was available to take the job that wasn't going to say no. But, and we'll get this to this in a couple of minutes, press out of Italy and press out of German reported earlier this week as well that he was on the verge of losing his job at Sauber because Audi, which is going to continue to take a significant, I would say, is going to continue taking a larger and larger stake in the ownership pie of that group over the next three years had clearly decided, and this is what has been reported, that they didn't believe, and this is where it's really interesting, the press in Italy and the press in Germany are reporting that Audi didn't believe Frederick Vasseur was capable of running a works team. Mm. Interestingly, Ferrari thinks he is. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. That that is that is interesting. I mean, my own thoughts about that is that regardless who it was, I, I think that um, my own gut instinct as is that Audi would have wanted to put their own person in charge oh, there. Regardless, hundred percent, totally. You know, agree. I just yeah. But the the other thing that I, I think was interesting is uh, like you mentioned there off the top uh, of your summation there, Hammy, was the fact that they reportedly went off uh, or went after Christian Horner. And I would have thought that regardless if you're Ferrari, you're the, the most famous racing team on, on the planet. You know, th- that all being said, I still struggle a little bit to, to think that they could, you know, attract like a Christian Horner. You might as well go ask Toto if he wants to come over from Mercedes. I don't think either one of those guys would, uh, you know, w- would end up, you know, wanting to take that job. I mean, I know we see it like in other sports where, you know, you'll have like one coach or general manager and players or whatever go from from one team to another. But Formula One's a, a little bit uh, different. And yeah, I mean, Toto is obviously a lot different because, you know, he's got, you know, massive financial stakes in in the, the, the Mercedes Formula One team. I'm not so much sure about Christian Horner, but that being said, it just seems highly unlikely that uh, that that either of them would uh, would leave. But, you know, like you said, when, when it came to what they tried to do and and trying to find someone to replace a uh, Bonotto and doing it in a somewhat uh, pretty open and brazen fashion over the summer is that, you know, none of their options really worked out. And then they, you know, I, I think it's funny how you exactly like you said, Audi doesn't think Vassour is, ca- you know, the person to run or capable of running a Formula One team, but Ferrari does. You know, I I don't really know what else I can add to that comment because (laughs) I I think that just really, really sums it up. I mean, 
to, you know, if you're uh, if you're Frederick Vasseur, you know, that's throwing the gauntlet down and he'll be like, well, if that's what you think, let me show you. So, I mean, now it's, uh, you know, if you're going to walk the walk or you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk or whatever it is, right? I mean, you got to deliver on uh, on that. And I mean, Ferrari, I mean, when we talked about it last week, you're not just racing for one set of fans, you're literally racing for an entire country. I mean, Ferrari's like a, a religion to the Italians. So, I mean, there, there is pressure there like nowhere else in the Formula One paddock. So, it is... Um, Let's just say that I'm not envious of the stress and the pressure, the expectations that are now heaped upon Frederick Vasseur's shoulders because you can be sure that if there's any team where blame could be heaped on someone for things that happened before they officially took charge, it would be Ferrari. So he's inherited the job and everything that comes with it, plus all the baggage that <laughs> that was there when he walked uh, through the front door. So he's got to deal with that as well. First person since Jean Todd that Ferrari has hired into a team principal role from outside the organization. Obviously, the Jean Todd signing worked out very well for the organization, and here's hoping that this one does as well. But you make a great point that if I'm signing up to be a team principal for any team in the sport, I probably want to sign up for a team like Williams that's fundamentally broken, and I can rebuild it. Although, yeah. hopefully, I get more than two years because Jos Capito didn't. But if I'm if I'm Vassour and I come into Ferrari, they just parted ways with their team principal. And I know it was a resignation, but I think that was a decidedly awkward and forced resignation that just finished second in the championship that for Frederick Vasseur, what is, what is acceptable? And if he finishes second in the championship or if they regress, how can Ferrari then not part ways with him? It's a very weird, very weird situation. Yeah, but they didn't finish second in the championship, right? I mean, they they kind of like ended up there by default because Red Bull just kicked everybody's butts this year. I mean, it's I mean, we we talked about it last week the the amount of money that they have to pay now for the entry fees because of all the points that they scored is is massive compared to to everyone else. So I mean, that's I mean that's doesn't really mean anything in this uh, this conversation. But I mean, they just blew everybody off, you know out of the water. And then you had Mercedes that just, they had a very, very off year. I mean, they've been on it. They've been on point. They've dominated the sport since uh, 2014. And this year was always going to be a question mark, right? When, you know, we got the the changes in the technical regs, the the biggest changes we've seen with those uh, rules in in 40 years. And somebody was going to get it right and somebody was going to get it wrong or maybe not quite as right as uh, the other teams. We just uh, didn't really expect that both Ferrari and Red Bull were going to be better than uh, Mercedes. So it's not like they finished second. It's they didn't really offer up the the challenge that was expected to whoever was going to be the leader this year because it it looked really promising at the beginning of the year. I mean, you go back to like Saudi Arabia, like that that scrap that the Charles Leclerc and and Max Verstappen had at the at the end of that race at Jeddah was was exciting. I think we were all kind of thinking after just a couple of races in that it looked like uh, Red Bull was going to be as good as or as better as twenty twenty one. Ferrari obviously much improved. 
improved over the past couple of years. We already had a good feeling that maybe Mercedes weren't going to be quite as good as we've we've come to expect over the last decade. And I think a lot of people sat there thinking, geez, you know, maybe we're not going to see Max and Lewis fighting for the championship this year. But if this scrap between Max and Charles is a sign of things to come and and Ferrari's back and our contenders, then this is going to be an exciting season. It just didn't turn out that way for so many embarrassing, you know, incidents and missteps and failures by Ferrari. I mean, that that that's really what it comes down to. I like I like where you're going with this. I just I don't believe. Uh, let me back this up a little bit. I think what we saw at the beginning of the season was a mirage, and it was a mirage because the Red Bull was overweight. It was a mirage because uh, because. Red Bull had a lot of very bad luck in their first couple of races, and Ferrari looked good at the beginning of the season. But fair, I think that's fair. Even yep. if you put aside, even if you can scrub away all of the really flagrant mistakes that Ferrari made last year, mm-hmm. I don't think you're competing with Red Bull. And I think to your point, Red Bull was just a dominating monster. So I don't believe that Ferrari lost this championship. I don't think they were ever in this championship, which makes the departure of Matteo Bonato all that more, all that more questionable. Although I think the flagrant mistakes that the team made were very convenient for the leadership of Ferrari. If they had an MO of forcing his departure, it just made it easier for them to exercise their authority in that sense. But I don't think that they ever thought, I don't think that they were ever in the championship. I think that they must feel they are, if they mm-hmm. were willing to make this move and bring somebody else in, but when they don't win the championship next year, either of the championships, what do you do with Vesur at that point? That you have this team that you believe is championship worthy and you don't win the championship, then what Then what do you do? Yeah, well, well that's the thing, right? And I, I think that's a really, really good point to, that, that you make, Hammy. And yeah, it, it, it really is incredible when you think about it. And, and, and in my opinion, I kind of get the feeling that letting Bonato go is a year premature at best, right? It just seems like I, I, I'm trying to kind of figure out and get into that headspace and the logic of it. Like, why would you let him go now? Because yes, there were some missteps and some bad calls that were made, but we kind of like, break it down the way that you did and kind of like compare them to where they were with Red Bull and where Red Bull were at the beginning of the season. I mean, they had that double DNF in Bahrain, right? I mean, both Max and and, and uh, Checo Perez didn't finish that race and they, they, they sputtered a little bit at the beginning of the season, but once they figured it out, boy, <laughs> did they ever figure it out because they never looked back again. And I mean, their climb up the, to the, the top of uh, the Formula One tables this year was, it was quick and it was fast and nobody could keep up to them. But then the, the thing is that the Mercedes, it took them a long, long time to figure out those issues with the car, with the W13, which was a radically different concept than than uh, both Ferrari and Red Bull went with. And then on top of that, they had the uh, the vertical displacement or the porpoising issues that took them a long time to, to finally eliminate. Um, and so there was that to deal with as well. So it's almost like... I, I guess in one sense, it's it's easy to say that they failed into second place because they weren't, like you say, they they were just never going to be able to challenge legitimately for the for for the championship. But I don't know. It just I I, I can't 
logically bring this one to a conclusion as to why the brass decided to let Bonotto go like right now. I mean, it's not like you had like a total wolf throw up his hands and say, you know what? I'm sick of Mercedes. I want out of Mercedes or, or Horner saying the same thing about Red Bull. I mean, who else? Like, I mean, there, there's no like other candidate out there, like a, like a, like a, a total wolf or a Christian Horner, love them or hate them, depending where your loyalties lie that, uh, that, that are available. I mean, you know, maybe Vasur is that diamond in the rough, but I don't know. I think uh, it, it's fair to say, Hammy, that uh, that both of us remain to be convinced uh, on that one. So, okay, let's take another break. We'll come back and nearly three quarters of the hour into it, we finally will talk about McLaren and the uh, the sudden departure of uh, Andreas Seidel from uh, the the one and only very well-known McLaren team over to the uh, the still-to-be... Well, I guess they they do exist, but the the yet to race officially Audi Formula One team who will take the grid in 2026. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back, Hammy. It's time. Let's talk about McLaren. Let's talk about Andreas Seidel because... Yeah, this is the one that that really caught me by surprise because when they like I said at the beginning of the show when the Capito story broke earlier in the week of like yeah I can see that one I I didn't expect it but I can see the reasoning behind it because you know they haven't done all that bueno over the past past couple of years but the the Andreas Seidel one really kind of caught me by surprise and left me picking my jaw off the ground because it was a really unexpected but it's interesting apparently he had made a deal with them as far back as this uh, summer so he'd made up his mind to go but then I guess what what really happened is more recently is that the Audi had uh, kind of uh, reached out and were kind of pushing to get him to join and uh, and and you know take his function, take his place sooner rather than later. And Zach Brown, CEO McLaren, who doesn't believe in standing in people's way and doesn't believe in gardening leave, which you know is still a very Formula One and a very European thing, which I don't think either of us really. You know, can comprehend uh, as I said uh, on the TSN Racing Pod with Tim the other day. You know, I'd love it if somebody paid me to stay at home, <laughs> but I guess Formula One's about the only place where bizarre logic exists like that, where people can actually get paid not to go out to work. And boy, what a sweet gig that would be! But Mark, I'm dying to hear this because you know you've kind of been under the weather the last couple of days. So apart from a couple of random texts here and there, we really haven't talked about Andreas Seidel leaving McLaren to take the, the the job at Audi. This is to be the, the biggest story in the last couple of months in Formula One because he's done an outstanding job at McLaren, turned this program and this team around literally on a dime and have got them back to being competitive. It, in is literally a blink of an eye. He's done an incredible job there. So that's why it makes it a big story for me. The unfortunate thing I think sometimes about Andreas Seidel is he he does all of the work and he was the chief architect really of rebuilding McLaren over the past three or four years, but he doesn't get a lot of the recognition simply because Zach Brown is there above him and Zach Brown sucks up so much oxygen in the orbit of the McLaren Formula One team. But clearly, I think this is a recognition and you said it, I think of Audi and Audi saying, this is the guy that we want 
to build our Formula One operation. And remember, Seidel's not going to Audi as a team principal. He's going as a CEO. And one of the first mm-hmm. things that he's going to have to do is hire a team principal. But as an Audi works team, and of course, it's not yet an Audi works team, it's still technically Sauber Alfa Romeo, and it will be until the end of next year. Ultimately, he's going to be kind of doing a couple of things. One, he's going to have to lead the current project, which is the kind of new chassis with the Ferrari power unit. But in tandem, he needs to be working on the build of the Audi power unit that will go live in 2026, plus the power or plus the chassis that will be powered or paired with that new power unit. So it's going to be a hugely, hugely complex affair. And I think one of the things that's really going to benefit, and I think this is a very, like you said, I think this is an incredibly well-deserved promotion for him. But I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that he's really going to enjoy here is having the backing of an OEM, right? Like having a manufacturer backing your organization really means you have limitless financial resources to make this work. And I think not just an OEM, but look at the OEM that he's got behind him and and the resources that they have, right? Absolutely. And I think we've talked a lot in the last couple of years about the fact that McLaren's done a really good job of attracting really attractive sponsors, but this is also a team that has sustained massive financial hits in the last decade, the last 15 years, and has had to borrow and borrow and borrow. So a lot of the income that they make simply goes off, simply goes to paying off the interest on the debt that they owe to countless different creditors, that they're in a really tough spot. But I think for him that this is going to give him room to breathe. And he really gets to be the, like I said, the chief architect of this project from the very, very beginning. And it will have have his fingerprints all over it. So like I said, it was very much, I think, Audi, who was the one that was directly this acquisition, but I think it's a great one. And I think his successor, and I think this also speaks to the fact that Zach Brown probably recognized that at some point this guy was going to get poached. It also speaks to the fact that Zach Brown was smart enough to have a successor in place. And I think that helps to smooth the transition because they're not hiring somebody externally who doesn't know the culture, who doesn't know the organization, doesn't know the people. They're bringing on somebody that everyone within that organization is incredibly familiar with and understands how we operate. So I think this is a really great acquisition for Audi, for Sauber. Um, I think it's a great move, a great, huge opportunity for Andreas Seidel. Like how often, how often does the opportunity come to take over a brand new works program? It happens so rarely. And I think it's also great for for McLaren, that this is a recognition of the fact that organizationally you're being recognized for doing great things and developing great people. And you've made huge mm-hmm. strides since the since the era of the Honda partnership and and some of the toxicity associated with some of the leadership prior to and during that era. But I think this is a great news story in so many different ways. Yeah, uh, I kind of get the feeling or my gut reaction compared to the Williams and the Ferrari stories is that what we saw at McLaren this week, it feels more seamless, right? Seidel leaves early to join Sauber slash Audi. And then you get Andrea Stella, who's uh, stepping forward to uh, taking the the team principal role at uh, at McLaren. Of course, he will be judged on what they do this year and what uh, and beyond, right? As long as he's a team principal. But even though I'm sure that their hand was forced a little bit in, in the way that uh, that the, they had to sort of fast track um, Andreas Seidel's appointment or his first day on the job as uh, as Audi CEO, I guess if you want to call it that. Uh, well, you don't have to call it that. That's exactly what it is. But 
you know, they, they've known for a while, so they must have had the, a time to sort of have come up with a succession plan because I think obviously Seidel saw this opportunity, decided to go for it and then told them, OK, this is what I want to do when my contract is up. You know, I'm not coming back. It's just it got pushed along a little bit uh, quicker than I guess everybody expected. And, I, you know, and of course, you know, maybe Zach Brown will give us more information in the future, but. <clears throat> excuse me i i feel like they had more time to to really think it through and realize well we don't have to go and look for for anyone else because we have the person that we need right here within the organization so we're really only losing one person rather than you know such a like a, a, a big chunk i mean that's why the ferrari thing with like bonato and and, and vasur and of course we, we could be completely wrong mark you and i when it comes to like our judgment and our thoughts on that one but i just feel a little bit more confident with what mclaren did compared to what ferrari's doing and then you know honestly i don't know what williams is doing at all so you know there's a little bit of uh, all sorts of uh, different things happening between these uh, three teams all at the at the same time but how what, what do you think and are are you seeing like the like where I'm coming with this? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? I'm interested to hear your thoughts as well. No, I agree with you. Okay, <laughs> I could, <laughs> and I, I could tell by that reaction is th- this uh, this discussion is done. It's time to move on to <laughs> to the next one. But yeah, well, I mean, who would have thought like a, a week ago that this is where things things were going? And we we don't I I don't recall like another time in the past when we've seen. Three t- t- sorry, three team principals move on for, from a job for one reason or another in the space of seven days. I mean, it's just crazy. But I, I was just kind of thinking, you know, as you were saying that uh, Seidel's first job or, or first task as uh, the new CEO of uh, Audi is to uh, appoint a team principal for Alpha Romeo. I forwarded your resume. I forwarded your resume already. I know. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. But I, I just, I don't know why. Maybe it's just because, you know, Bonotto is the guy that we've been talking about. But wouldn't that be incredible if he ends up as the team principal at, uh, <laughs> at, at Alpha Romeo and then the, the, then Audi? I mean, stranger things have happened. I mean, this is Formula One after all. I mean, and I, that I say has it a little bit joke. already been widely rumored. That's already yeah. been widely rumored. By the way, I have a listener question for for you. Um, And it kind of ties into that Bonato's piece. So this is perfect. So this is from at Spooky Jarl. Question. Question for the podcast this week's gents. I'm curious about the signs of it all. Matteo Bonato didn't have a number one driver like Red Bull and Verstappen. He let Charles and Carlos race. Do you think that will change next year with Fred in charge? Thank you. So it's Interesting. What are your thoughts on that question? Well, that's that's a great question, and I, I guess that really kind of like we, we can pull back uh, our good friends Bill Bilicek and uh, and Phil Jackson <laughs> Jackson that we threw out there because it really comes down to like now this is kind of like a, you know your coach your GM because now this is like a, the the guy in charge managing the the people that he has within his team and I, I think that's a, a great question. Is like wh- what is Vasur going to go do different? with his drivers that uh, that Bonato did, right? I mean, he didn't want to take a stance. He didn't want to come out and say that, uh, that that Charles is my number one or I don't have a number one or why don't you take a look? Maybe it's obvious who the number one driver is. I mean, he just never really commented or or committed one way or another. And, and, and that's the thing, right? I mean, th- that's what makes the great coaches, the great managers, the great team principals, whatever. That's what sets the greats apart is not only are they very, well, they're obviously very good at their job, but they're also 
very good at managing people. Then, then of course, if you're like, like, like Phil Jackson or Bill, Bill, sorry, Bill Belichick, maybe you get the, these like once in a generation player, like, like a Kobe, like a Tom Brady, you know, you, you get these great players that come along, but I mean, Fasur's got a couple of exceptionally good drivers in his team right now, but is he going to come out? I mean, he's obviously got that that history with Charles Leclerc, but is he going to come out and say that this is my guy, this is my number one, or is he going to be a little bit more like a Bonotto, or sorry, yeah, like Bonotto, and just uh, let them fight it out and then let them establish it, and then once it becomes apparent who the number one driver, they kind of go with that. I mean, that's why each 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 person, each team principal is different, and it'll be fascinating. I, I don't know. I really don't know what to expect with the <laughs> with Fazur, but like I say, he's got the history with Charles. One of the places that I, I strongly believe that me Tio Bonato deserved to draw criticism was his handling of the drivers. And I, I strongly am of the mind that every team very clearly needs to define who the number one driver is because everything that you do on the track in terms of building out a supporting infrastructure and a supporting strategy race week over race week has to be based on the fact that one of your two drivers is your number one. And I think it was not unforgivable because I also argue that Matteo should have kept his job, but I, I would argue it was problematic for the team that he didn't choose to choose uh, a number one driver. And I think really the only team that are the only time you can really get away without having a clearly defined number one driver is when your team is so good that conflicts and, and crashes and contact on the track from race to race won't compromise your ability to win a driver's championship and a constructor's championship. And you look at 2016, well, yeah, Total Wolf let Nico and Lewis go because nothing was going to change the outcome of that championship and nothing was going to alter the fact that they were going to win a constructor's title and they were going to win a driver's mm -hmm. title. Nothing was going to change that as it was in 2014 and as it was in 2015. But for Ferrari to be successful next year, they very clearly need to lead into Charles Leclerc because we all know it's Charles Leclerc, right? Don't we, like, hasn't this clearly been defined that he was the golden boy that was brought up from Alfa Romeo after 2018 to lead this team into the future as Sebastian Vettel marked his exit? That isn't yep. that what we all know? So why is it so hard for them to clearly define that? But I think that's one thing that they clearly need to do is they need to sit down with both of these drivers at some point during the offseason and clearly define what their role is going to be. That Carlos signs, you are going to win races when the opportunity arises, but it won't be at the expense of the team and our likelihood of putting Charles into a driver's champ Championship and not at the expense of us winning constructors title. I think that ne clearly needs to happen. So Spooky J, I like your question. It was a good question. Yeah, great question. And and you make a really great point. I mean, as soon as they brought Charles from Sauber into that Ferrari, it was it was apparent right from that very first race in Australia yes, when he right, had to right? you know they they basically had him hold station behind Sebastian Vettel then the very next uh, race in uh, Bahrain he kind of disobeyed team orders and blew past Seb anyways ultimately he you know the car let him down before yeah. you know the, the the race was over but it was pretty obvious just a couple of races into that season that Seb's days at that team were numbered i mean they they said all the right things at the time that he's our number 1 but 
it you know the, the writing was on the wall for everyone to see that 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 maybe they get through this season and then the year after going into 2018 it would be or was it 2019 i kind of forget now i guess it would be 2019 right that maybe you go in that let them figure it out between the two of them because it it was obvious charles was the faster of the two drivers absolutely and, i mean he he's been there for a good number of years now and i mean Sure, he hasn't racked up uh, like a big slate of uh, W's, but that's only because he hasn't had the car underneath him to do it for a couple of seasons. I mean, last year the car wasn't there. The year before it wasn't there either. And it's, it's just this year that they started out so good. And that's why it's mystifying. I mean, like you say, it, it was like he was anointed to be this Ferrari golden boy, but yet they've never publicly come out to, to make this grand statement. He's our guy. He's the future. This is the guy that we, you know, we want as our number one driver. It, it, it's a bit strange, especially when it's obvious. Can you go and look at Mercedes? Who's the number one at Mercedes? Who's the number one at Red Bull? I mean, there's no doubt. And then you look at uh, Ferrari, you look at uh, who's driving for them. And yes, Carlos Sainz is a good Formula One driver, but Charles Leclerc is better. And that's why it's it's strange that uh, they, they won't make that uh, commitment. And then, you know, another duo that uh, really bears mentioning too. I mean, you mentioned uh, Hamilton and uh, and Rosberg. I mean, Another uh, pairing uh, that was similar was Senna and Prost way back in the eighties, and uh, I was it was it even in the early nineties or Prost moved? No, I guess by the the late eighties or early nineties, he would have been at Ferrari, wouldn't he? Because I mean, they, they they there was that you know famous race. Well, I mean, there was you know, a number of cubbies to, together, but the one that always sticks out in my mind was the Japanese Grand Prix in nineteen. 19- 88. Okay, moving along. Hammy, what the heck is a virtual combustion powertrain? What's it doing in our show outline? Because I have no idea, but it's a tech thing, and apparently it's a uh, what a manual transmission that is being <laughs> developed for electric cars for EVs like by to, Lexus. Purely out of personal joy, uh, I like to drop the occasional kind of technology automotive-related story into this. And, you know, months back, we did that story about BMW putting certain features of their cars behind subscription paywalls. And we yes, got a ton, right. a yep, ton of yep. reaction out of this. I thought this story was interesting. So for those folks that are listening that have been, um, I don't know, a long time performance or automotive enthusiasts, there's always this passion for manual transmission cars. And if you've driven a manual transmission car, you know the value of having one underneath you, that you gain more control over the car, you get engine braking, you get all these kind of performance Mm -hmm. uh, benefits that you wouldn't get out of an automotive or an automatic transmission car. But as we've made this mass push to electrification over the past few years, that idea or that concept of a manual transmission has gone away because most electric cars, with the exception, I think, of one being produced by Porsche, have a gearbox that effectively has one gear, one gear Mm -hmm. that does all the work. So the idea or the need for a manual transmission in an electric car is, is redundant. It doesn't make sense. It's not necessary. But Lexus is trying to potentially cater to automotive enthusiasts by putting a manual gearbox, note the quotations, gearbox and clutch (laughs) into electric cars. And that electric gearbox, or so that manual gearbox and the clutch pedal 
won't actually be connected to anything, but they're designed to give the sensation of driving a manual transmission car. In fact, there will be cool. all sorts of computer wizardry that will even allow the user to stall the electric car if they come off, for instance, the clutch pedal too quickly. And furthermore, there will be speci speakers specifically installed within the cars to give the sensation of the engine revving under load at different fictional RPMs. So interesting, Lexus is kind of paying homage to all these previous high-performance cars that would have had manual gearboxes by putting a manual gearbox into an electric car that doesn't mm -hmm. need an electric gearbox or doesn't need a manual gearbox, and that manual gearbox and the clutch pedal won't be connected to anything but a computer that creates sounds to artificially simulate a manual transmission car. So I'm a huge manual gearbox fan. Sad to see them go, but in the world of electric cars where you have a single-speed gearbox it doesn't really make sense to have them so it's just kind of funny that lexus is going to create this artificial experience which will no doubt be very expensive and probably be hidden behind a paywall anyways yeah probably right but i th I think the concept is is really really cool and and much like yourself i love driving a manual transmission oh, i just absolutely i, I think it's it just uh for, for me well i mean unless you're you're stuck on the freeway during you know rush hour traffic that's not fun, no matter what you're driving, <laughs> to be quite honest. But uh, I, I love it. You know, I, I love being able to, to shift through the gears. I love being able to, uh, you know, to, to engine brake. And it's it's just a much more enjoyable uh, driving experience. And let me ask you this question, too, because okay. you're a guy that loves to go into the mountains when it's snowing. Yep. Having a manual transmission car in the snow is is like a godsend. Like you have so much more control over the car oh, because yeah, totally. you're not relying on the brakes to slow the car. You can slow the car just by mowing down through the gears. Rather yep. than starting in first gear, you can start in second or third gear so you don't apply too much engine speed and create wheel spin. Like it's a really great tool to have in the snow. Yeah, well, the, the car that I have now is a Mitsubishi Outlander. I've got the semi-automatic uh, transmission in it, and so I've got the paddle shifter, and then I've also got the the, the option to with the with, with the stick shift to put it into sort of like a pseudo manual mode. So I mean, to just push the you know push the uh, the, the gear shift forward to to gear down, pull it back um, to to gear up, and it gives like the the. I wouldn't say the illusion, but it gives a bit of a feel for driving in uh, with a with a with a manual transmission, and it's nice too because uh, when when the, the snow and it's icy and everything like that, the one thing that it uh, allows you to do as well is that in sometimes like uh, pulling away from a stoplight or pulling out of the driveway. I'll I'll roll out in second gear rather than first gear. You get a little bit more torque, and you know that's something that uh, you can't really do with like the you know, the you know. I mean, some people they they don't really care. It's just like I put it in D, and then I just you know put my foot down on the accelerator, and then away I go. But you know, there, there's it, it's not quite the same with my car, but it, it it's close enough for now. But you know, once manual transmissions go, I I think the world will lose something because those are it, it's just more enjoyable. I should. Also put in a bit of a, a funny story when it comes to, you know, in my family, like uh, the, the Dutch side of my family, it was always like a bit of a coming of age event that uh, with, with my uncle, like if he showed up unannounced, 
you know, when we were like in your teens, like on a weekend in his car, he always had, well, most people, uh, at least back in the day, they all the manual transmissions over there. If he showed up on a Sunday and said, we're going for a drive, you just knew you were getting your first driving lesson because <laughs> he'd always take you out to the middle of nowhere, stop the car and get out and say, okay, well, it's up to you to, to, to get us back home or at least start driving. It'd be like, well, I don't know how to drive and I don't know how to uh, drive stick. And it'd be like, well, I guess you better learn fast because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not driving it like my, myself and a lot of my cousins kind of went through that uh, that little rite of passage, which was uh, kind of fun. Anyway, so let's take uh, another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Honda. Remember them? Yes, they're still around and they're coming back to Formula One again. Although, did they ever really left? <laughs> I don't know. Like, but we'll how t- many times <laughs> have we reported this story? I don't know. I've lost track and I'm getting kind of sick of it. But we'll talk about it again in just a moment. So don't go away. All right, welcome back. Yes, Honda's coming back in 26. Next story. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> moving Christian on. Horner, Red Bull will build for me. No, I'm joking. So I want to jump into this one real quick because this this sure, one is course. this one's pretty real. So we've talked a lot about the fact that any teams or any OEM that wanted to sign up for the 2026 uh, power unit regulations had to have done so by November 15th. That date's that date's been fluid and the FIA has been moving around because they wanted to give as many organizations the opportunity to get involved as possible. And obviously we know that Mercedes has signed up and Ferrari has signed up and all these other teams have signed up. Red Bull powertrains has signed up. So uh, in that, in doing so they've openly admitted that they intend to join 2026 as a power unit manufacturer. We all knew that was going to be the case, but Honda themselves have now signed up for the 2026 power unit regulations. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're committed to building a power unit. It doesn't even necessarily mean that they're committing to participating in Formula One in 2026, but what it does do is allow them to participate in the negotiations that will outline what the 2026 power units will actually be. So this is an important step for them, and I don't believe for a second that they would be doing so if they didn't have the motive to return. Now, the... Honda Racing President Koji Watanabe has confirmed, and I'm reading here from autosport.com, has confirmed that Honda has done so, their commitment to Formula One, and says, and I quote, as HRC, we have registered as a power unit manufacturer after 2026. The F1 regulations from 2026 onwards are moving in the direction of carbon neutrality. In addition, the fact that electrification is also being promoted in the carbon neutrality and electrification that Honda Motor Co. Limited is promoting is the same. The targets match. As a racing company, we have registered as a manufacturer in order to advance research on racing. There is also the fact that November 15th was the deadline for registration. I have registered as a manufacturer in order to continue this research. So... Interesting. I think it's exciting because you and I've talked about this so much in the past that the more OEMs that are involved with the sport, the better it is for the sport. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to whether they come back as a partner, a limited partner in the Red Bull powertrains operation. I don't believe that's necessarily going to be the case. My sense is that if Honda is going to make the effort to come back, they will want to produce their own power unit. And clearly they're capable of doing it because they're doing it now and will continue doing it through 2025 as the uh, chief engine supplier for Red Bull power or for Red Bull as a whole. But I think this is a good news story. And it also speaks to the fact that 
Red Bull themselves are very confident in their own power unit projects. So uh, there's another story here. Christian Horner is quoted as saying Red Bull will build Formula One cars by 2026. Well, that's pretty obvious. But what he's saying in that story is that they will build the complete item by 2026, meaning that the Milton Keynes factory, which is, of course, where Red Bull's based out of, it's about 30 minutes away from Silverstone, their intention is that by the season of 2026, they will be fully responsible for building every aspect of the car, except for the common supply components, the parts that you have to buy from a common supplier. Everything mm -hmm. else will be built and assembled on that site in that factory, which is incredible. And Red Bull may be interested in partnering with an OEM simply for I would say in a very elaborate branding project. And Adam Stern earlier this week was quoted as saying, Ford is not denying that it is exploring getting back into F1 in some form, only saying in a statement, we do not comment on speculative issues. And the hmm. a rumor, the assumption there is that Ford is interested in getting involved with Formula One, but that it is not willing to make the $100 million investment in building a new power unit from the ground up. And that Red Bull might be a perfect target for Ford because they can come along and be the engine supplier, quote unquote, while Red Bull Powertrains actually designs, builds, and manages the administrative side of putting a power unit into a car, they would simply be badged as the power unit. So Ford power unit by Red Bull Powertrains Limited, something like that. But this is all a good news story because it speaks to the health of the sport if you have OEMs that are effectively knocking down the door to come into the sport, where a couple of years ago, we were seeing OEMs like Honda exiting the sport. And it's yeah. crazy too, because yeah. I recall one of the first stories that you and I ever did together was we were bemoaning the exit of Honda from Formula One while they were, at least we thought at that point, on the verge of something big. And of course, 2021, their final year, their swan song in Formula One, they win a driver's title. They exit the sport entirely from 22 onwards, although they continue to supply engines and an engine supply deal to, to Red Bull. Um, and they've obviously gotten a little bit, little bit annoyed by the fact that they're Power units have won or Red Bull another two championships. And if you've looked at the qualification lifts that was issued for, for Formula One next year, the mm -hmm. official power unit supplier for Red Bull next year isn't Red Bull powertrains. It's Honda Red Bull powertrains. So Honda will officially be back on the grid next year. Not that it really ever left, but Honda will continue to, uh, partner with Red Bull in a meaningful way. Although again, like I said, what their what their role will be in 2026 is uncertain, but I wouldn't count on it being a partnership with Red Bull at that point. Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, you answered my question because uh, I was looking at a picture here in the show notes and you know, you've got the you're know, looking at this year's Red Bull. You see the Red Bull on the airbox, you see Red Bull and then it says Honda beside it and those Honda stickers went back on at the uh, the, the 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 Japanese Grand Prix. So, that answers my question because I was hoping that you were going to go that way because I was curious like is this going to be like another Red Bull RBPT or yeah, so there we go. You're going to have those Honda badges on there for good uh, next year. Fascinating story. Uh, so I'm, I'm still not really convinced that they ever left Formula One. And if they yeah, did, they it wasn't for very long. <laughs> you know, it's a little cloudy to say at the very least, right? We're done. We're done. Yeah. We're still yeah. producing the engines that are in the championship winning cars, but we're not involved at the sport. Wink. Yeah. 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 The, but that, that is really interesting that, uh, you know, this whole comment by Christian Horner that they are going to build the whole uh, Red Bull car there, like chassis and power units. It'll be really, you know, interesting to see which badge goes on the side of it. And, uh, you know, 
I guess I guess it's been like quite a while. What, what would have like Ford's last like official involvement in Formula One have been? Would it have been when Jaguar was around? Was that still a Ford property at that point twenty years Which, ago? Incidentally, Jaguar became Red Bull Racing, so it would be a perfect twist of face if yeah. Ford re-enters the sport. Yeah, and of course, I, I guess there was times where Cosworth was involved until more recent history, and Cosworth was always a division, or at times a division well, yeah. of Ford. But I think the last official Ford works team would have been Jaguar. Yeah, because like Jaguar before that was a Stewart Grand Prix or Stewart F1, and of course that was run by Jackie and Paul Stewart, and Jackie Stewart, three-time world champion, he won his three world championships with Tyrrell way back in the seventies, and they were powered by Cosworth, and then he always had that uh, you know that real strong link with Ford, and he probably still does to this uh, very day. So it would be kind of interesting to see how it you know potentially could come a full circle because I mean, as far as I know, Jackie. Stewart isn't involved in in Red Bull in any shape, way, or form, but it would just be from, well, I mean, it, it is a small world in Formula One, but it would just kind of be kind of strange to see that circle kind of close if that's indeed what happens in the future. I'll just read a quick story here from Lydia Mee, published December 14th, 2022 from sportsillustrated.com. Ford are reportedly looking to make a comeback to Formula One and are exploring an opportunity with Red Bull. Ford were last in F1 between 2000 and 2004 with Jaguar before the team sold to Red Bull. Ford also provided the Jordan team with Cosworth engines in 2003 and 2004. It is rumored that Ford are not wanting to produce a power unit. However, they are thought to be considering a collaboration of some sort since the dramatic increase in popularity in the sport in America. Red Bull Mm -hmm. are in contract with Honda for their power units until the end of 2025, and team principal Christian Horner has said they are fully focused on a Red Bull power unit from 2026. He said, we are fully focused on a Red Bull power unit, and if there was a like-minded partner that could contribute something to this project, read cash, then of course you would have to absolutely consider that, but it's not a prerequisite. So again, we speak to the fact that Ford wants to come in. They don't want to take on the financial burden of building a power unit. There's a partner in F1 potentially ready for them that has already produced the power unit and just wants some money to stick their logo on the side of the engine so that they can Mm -hmm. better market their brand in uh, North America. Very, very cool. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, it it would be cool to see uh, Ford back in in, in Formula One. As well. Okay, uh, talking about Formula One and in the context of uh, Formula One and Formula E, the, there's an extra story here that uh, you've pulled up. It was an article written by Sam Smith on therace.com entitled Formula One and Formula E Must Soon Decide If They Can Coexist. This is an interesting mind exercise to kind of uh, ponder and discuss, don't you think, Hammy? I, I absolutely do, but I don't remember putting this <laughs> story on the agenda. <laughs> so I'm desperately well, trying to figure out where it is. Well, well, well let's just uh, talk about it. I mean, Formula E is obviously uh, an all-electric series that uh, drew a bunch of uh, very big OEMs into it. And it's it, it's been interesting in the last uh, couple of years, a, a couple of these uh, big OEMs have now decided to leave formula you say that uh, they've they've basically learned everything that they wanted to by participating in the, in the sport and I, I, I guess I think though that that comment though could okay. be a little bit misleading it's not that it's fair enough it's not that it was everything they wanted to learn in fact it was mm-hmm. quite the opposite it was that the technical regulations of formula e 
are so draconian in scope, they couldn't learn anything more by participating in the sport. And and that was the okay. feedback from Mercedes and that was the feedback from BMW. So it was attractive to OEMs because strategically all these OEMs are chasing uh, carbon neutrality and they want to have fully electrified vehicle lineups by 2035. And all of them appear to be well on the way to accomplishing that. But the mm-hmm. challenge with Formula E was that it's relatively easy to get involved from a cost perspective, but the technical regulations were such that there wasn't a lot that they could learn that they could then apply to their road cars, that they needed more technical artistic license to be able to expand and experiment in different ways to make it meaningful. So it's it's very much an interesting story as, as you kind of proposed off the top that at some point these two series are going to have to kind of learn to coexist. I just think that's a little ways down the road. And I just think eventually Formula One will just push Formula E out of the way in some meaningful way. And you and I have talked a lot of, and they already have, because Formula E is not necessarily a Formula One competitor to start with. It's a unique championship that works on a very, very small budget um, and doesn't Mm -hmm. race in the world's greatest racing venues. And it's largely street circuit based. But I think Formula One will always find a way to ensure that it's the world's preeminent Uh, racing series. And you and I have talked a lot about the fact that having internal combustion engines are still very relevant to the road cars of today. And they'll be still very relevant to the road cars of 2030 and 2035. It's just that what we're going to see is what we're going to see in 2026, that you can have carbon neutral fuels. And that's specifically what we're going to have in 2026 when we go fully in on synthetic fuels, meaning that these cars are just as relevant as they always have been as well as being intoxicating from a performance in a kind of a visceral noise perspective. But once again, I have no idea where the story came up, but it was a good one. Yeah, but it kind of goes back to the discussion, kind of just picking up where you left off there, Mark, is that I still think that uh, Formula One is, uh, and, and this is something you know I've uh, discussed a couple of times over the last year or so, perhaps even longer, is that every time that the the whole discussion for the like the the engine formula comes up, I think where we've landed is that they will just continue to kick this can down the road either through you know, the, slight modifications to the hybrid uh, technology or synthetic fuels or whatever it might be until at some point that the the electric uh, power unit uh, technology just evolves, that it, it'll be like a, a seamless uh, transition from one Love to it. the other that, that will, will happen in, in very short order because at that point, uh, you point. Know, the batteries will become compact enough and the, the performance will be comparable to what they're getting now with the, the V6 turbo hybrids or whatever it is in the future. And at that point, it just uh, makes sense because, you know, the, that's the one thing, right? That the one catchphrase about Formula One is that it's got to be road relevant. I mean, the, the fact that the only thing that's really road relevant relevance or in common between my car and your car and Lewis Hamilton's uh, W13 is that they all have four tires and a steering wheel and, and, and a power unit of some kind, right? That's that's about where the, you know, the, the similarities begin and end. But I, I think that as time goes forward and, it, you know, cars with um, diesel or gas engines in them, like our cars have slowly disappear and replaced by uh, electric cars. Then that will become, you know, the most road relevant uh, technology, and at some point, Formula One will just, uh, I think, make that uh, seamless uh, transition. 
Okay, a couple of quick stories just to uh, finish up uh, the show here, Mark. So the uh, the French GP organizer is going to be disbanded this week. Uh, the French Grand Prix, which has been at uh, Circuit uh, Paul Ricard, where, you know, where it's been there for the last couple of years, uh, after being off the calendar for many, many years, is now done. It is over. Uh, they were unable to get a deal for 2023 and uh, beyond. They were still kind of throwing out the idea to maybe keep it on the calendar in 2024 as part of uh, maybe a rotating Grand Prix deal between uh, themselves and maybe another European circuit. So that uh, has not happened and it's being uh, reported by uh, the sports newspaper Le Quip in France that uh, this is not going to happen and the the race organizer is going to be folded and disbanded uh, this week. And then uh, another piece of news, and this is according to racefans.net, that the uh, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix will open the 2024 season and the Australian Grand Prix at Melbourne has now extended their Formula One deal again and we will be going to Melbourne for basically a very very long time because they are now going to be on the calendar until get this 2037 another 15 years Wow, Sydney, Adelaide, a- anywhere else. I mean, that is that that's crazy. I don't ever recall any other <laughs> race that has had a, a deal in place for such a long-term time frame like the the uh Albert Park venue in Melbourne there. But that it, it's a great track, it's a great venue, it's a great event. So we can look forward to to going there. But I must admit that since, you know, the topsy-turvy kind of thrown together covid and post covid world the fact that that australia was missing for a couple of years and now isn't the the opening grand prix is a little bit different because i mean it's been that season opening race for so many many years so i guess we just have to adjust but i did uh, kind of like it uh, starting off in the middle east uh, this year it's just kind of get used to it you know australia was kind of kind of my my big signal that uh, that the formula 1 season had arrived Anyways, Hammy, that brings it more or less to the end. Are there any other stories that uh, that, that that we need to discuss that are out there? No, or, I think it's or good. Not? One you're, quick note: good? Checo ha- kindly thanked all fourteen hundred Oracle Red Bull racing employees with a bottle of Patron. Patron? I, I'm I'm not. I don't know anything about alcohol. So, is it Patron tequila? Is that how you say it? Sure. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> so he gifted all 1,400 members of the Oracle Red Bull Racing team with a bottle of Patron tequila to thank them for everything they did throughout the championship. So that's, a nice that's a very, nice very holiday cool. gift to warm their bellies as the temperatures descend in the middle part of the United Kingdom. I don't know. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing I, I that apologize must- to everyone that I wasn't as sharp tonight. I'm still trying to get over this illness. Yeah, I, I feel a little bit bad for trying to crack some jokes there where you're clearly, uh, you know, in a little bit of a discomfort. <laughs> but, you know, props to you, my friend, for for soldiering on because, you know, I, I did say, you know, if you're not feeling 100% up, you know, we could delay this no, by were, a day or so or whatever. But, yeah, you were very yeah, kind. Yeah, yeah, One story so. that we should talk about next time, and, and I won't do yep. this now, but the next time we're on, we should talk about Mick Schumacher officially having signed with Mercedes yes. as a reserve driver for 2023. I've got lots to say, so maybe we save that because I thought that this show was going to be super light and it's funny because our, our listeners won't believe this but you and I actually do a ton of planning for our shows like we plan out our interviews and we plan out our shows but we'd yep. anticipated that this 
show was going to be difficult, that we thought we were going to struggle to fill an hour of content. And there certainly wasn't uh, a lack of things to talk about tonight. So we'll save the Mick Schumacher reserve driver signing for uh, for next week. Yeah, that's cool. But, you know, it's funny, right? I mean, the the, the fact that uh, there is this much news and the season is almost a month uh, behind us is uh, is incredible because I'm just looking at the timer here on the uh, on the recording software. I mean, we're pushing an hour and 22 minutes as uh, as we sit here and chat right now. And our, our normal in-season episode runs at about 90 minutes. So, <laughs> I mean, this is basically a regular weekly news show without the the the, the, the usual edition or inclusion of a, of a race preview or something like that so i i anticipate though in a, in a week or so what with the 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 holidays like right at our doorstep that is going to get awfully quiet awfully quick but then when we come out on the other side mark we're, we're not going to be that far from the official car launches for 2023 which is crazy how quick it's coming yeah, because I mean, they usually start doing the like the the premieres and the the car reveals and things like that. I always say it happens about Valentine's Day, and but I mean, it's it's usually that starting with some of the smaller teams that second week in in February, and then they they kind of go a couple of uh, you know per week right up until the end of the month, and then. Gosh, once you hit the the end of February, then the first race is literally just a couple of weeks away. But hey, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here because, you know, like I was just saying, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, feasting and celebrating for, for you know, for one and all coming up here very, very shortly. So let, let's enjoy that because uh, we don't want it to uh, you know, go by too, too quickly. And once it does, at least uh, we, we've got uh, something to look forward to because... Uh, Time does go a little bit uh, too quickly. <laughs> I, I know I say that each and each and every year, but uh, there you go. Anyways, Hammy, you usually have something to say at this uh, time of uh, the show, so have your have your say, and then Thanks, we can get out buddy. of here. <laughs> I was about to hit. I was about to hit stop on the recording application. So perfect timing. Once again, if you enjoy the show, if you like what we do, and you have a couple of moments to spare, if you're a Spotify listener and you can give us an in-app rating, not a review, rating, that would be much appreciated. Spotify doesn't do reviews yet. And if you listen on Apple and you can give us a rating and a review, it means the world to both of us. And if you listen on any other platform at all, and there are a ton of them, a rating, a review, any way that you can pass on feedback about the show and what you like about us, it, uh, it means the world to both of us. And it does so much to help grow the show because I think one of the things that we've discovered over the past is that ratings and reviews really do help with the growth of the program as it, when it comes to search engines and all those different type of things that I don't really understand. But yeah. rating and review means the world to both of us. So thanks again. This- Especially for a you know podcast like the like us who are completely independent and do not have the the, the backing of a big uh, you know podcasting network or a media outlet that have exactly. things like marketing budgets and you know money for social media campaigns. I mean, th- this show is spread word of mouth, and uh, we appreciate uh, well put, everything well put, that uh, that you guys can do to uh, to, to help uh, support us. Anyways, that's it uh, for 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 that, and also that's it for the show tonight. Thank you, one and all. We'll be back uh, again. Well, uh, we're going to uh, have that uh, interview with uh, Tyler Senarusa that will uh, drop again on Monday. Then we will have one more uh, weekly news show before the, you know, the the holiday and the turkey and every the eggnog all comes out. Although we've been drinking eggnog in this house for a couple of weeks already. And then um, the Boxing Day special with that uh, coming up, and that will be on the 26th. And then, so we're not really missing a beat at all. Anyways, enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon. 
Have a great time. Enjoy the festivities. Bye for now.